So hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back to the Rookies Podcast. My name is Ryan Bird, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Cosmos Sports and Entertainment Corporate Account Executive Tristan Tata, who's today uh, coming out of uh, Rookies Podcast retirement uh, since interning with Cosmos last fall. So uh, Tristan's here with me today to talk about sports betting and uh, how the industry has grown in the age of the internet. So uh, thanks for joining me today, Tristan. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, so and as well, joining him today is our esteemed guest, who is one of the brightest minds in the sports betting industry, Ryan Newpel. So Ryan is the owner and founder of Noop Solutions, noopsports.com, and premiumgamblingdomains.com. And he has about 20 years of experience in the sports betting space. So we're so excited to have him here with us today to discuss uh, online sports betting and his journey through it all. So uh, welcome to the Rookies Podcast, Ryan. Thanks so much for being here with us. Hey, Ryan, thanks for that introduction and uh, my pleasure being here. I really appreciate the invite. Looking forward to this one. It should be fun. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess we'll just uh, get right into it here. So um, I just wanted to start right at the beginning for you. So uh, how you got interested in the sports gambling industry. So just to give some quick background on Ryan. So you were a really successful college basketball player at uh, Elmhurst University. Um, you had an especially impressive senior year uh, when you won player of the year and uh, led Elmhurst to their first CCIW championship. Um, by the numbers, definitely, I would say like the best CCIW shooter probably of all time. And so um, soon after um, all the success at Elmhurst, you were also uh, got all academic honors uh, taking computer science as well. So after all the success, how did you start getting into uh, the sports gambling industry? And when did you know this is something you can become really good at? Wow, that's kind of a blast from the past there, Ryan. I didn't really, uh, uh, you did your homework, so thank you. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously sports has always been, you know, something that I followed and that I've loved all my life, you know, being a basketball player from the time I was little all the way through college and, and having a good career there. So always, sports was always in my blood, right? And so I think, you know, when you get out of college and you get, you kind of start getting into the real world, you know, you, me personally, I started dabbling a little bit in like, okay, now, you know, now what am I going to do to kind of keep those competitive juices flowing? You know, you, you're, you kind of lose that because you, you're used to competing every day in basketball or whatever sport you're in. And, and so I kind of found that through fantasy sports and sports betting a little bit and really kind of getting into that space and, you know, being able to almost participate in these games, even though you're not really participating, participating in your own way. I'm also a very analytical guy, a very numbers data driven guy. And so, you know, sports betting naturally fits into that space. And so putting all that together really, you know, just was like, man, I can follow sports. I can maybe win a little money as well. You know, money's on the mind as you're getting out of college and starting to kind of, uh, uh, get into the workforce. So it was really a way to extend the sports life and then, uh, kind of dive into the industry, um, you know, and just start learning it and, and really uh, looking into it. So that's really the answer there. I mean, from a professional side um, of things, you know, I, I, I'm not a writer by any means. I, I'm not a, I won't call myself the, the best writer ever, but I've somehow made a space in the freelance content agency space uh, here in sports betting world. Um, I really started dabbling and working with many of the professionals in the sports uh, betting affiliate space kind of just providing them supplemental articles, you know, covering games, um, just kind of speaking about what I thought about the games. And um, that really has kind of fast forwarded, you know, 20 years today, kind of still what I'm doing now on a full-time basis. So 
um, yeah, I just love it all. I love sports. I love betting. And, and now that this industry is progressing, which we'll talk about more, um, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm in hog heaven right now. I'm loving it. Yeah, for sure. So like, you've definitely, as you say, like seen just like the online industry in general grow. So like, I'm interested to hear what, um, like the sports betting scene was like when you first got into it, uh, like about 20 years ago, um, like how big was it? Like what was, what was the whole industry like in general? Very hush, hush, very, um, black market feel very, um, we don't talk about this feeling, you know, I mean, what's going on today was definitely, uh, not the mindset, at least I had. And most people I knew that were in the industry had, you know, I was very, very quiet about what I did because it was this, this fear of, you know, is it, is any of this legal? Is it not legal? You know, I, I don't know if I can bet anywhere, or, you know, all that uh, gray area that goes along with the offshore sports books and, and that whole deal. Uh, but even from a professional side, you know, even offering services, you know, writing about sports betting and just even mentioning that phrase was something I shied away from because I felt like everyone in the United States would be like, Ooh, he's, he's shady or, Oh, I don't know about him. And and now that's really transformed. And I'm really proud to talk about being in the sports betting industry. And it's like, everybody's like, Oh, that's an emerging market. Like that's a cool space to be in. Whereas it used to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm working in sports. I, I do sports stuff and kind of left the betting side out of it. But uh yeah, I mean, it was still big. I think it was still big. It was just in a quiet way. I mean, there were still a lot of people doing it. I mean, a lot of people, um, you know, doing it in their own way, you know, working through bookies or working through offshores or, um, you know, peer-to-peer, whatever they were doing back in the day uh, was still happening. It just wasn't nearly as um, as broadcasted as it is today. Right, for sure. So, like, more going more into, like, Noob Solutions uh, in general, um, like I'm sure you were like at this time at the beginning of the industry, um, like definitely one of the first to like notice a need for like additional like sports betting content. Um, so when did you like really realize that this was something that like had like legit demand? And when do you notice that? Oh, I mean, I realized it was in demand 15 years ago. I mean, it was, it's always been in demand. And, and I kind of started on the, you know, sports and then the casino and poker side of things. So really the true gambling niche always needs, there's a true demand for content in that space at all times, especially when you're working with, you know, the affiliate groups. So the people who own a, a number of websites and they, they always need content. They always need good content. Um, And what I like about the sports content side over like the casino or the poker side is sports are always changing. There's always fresh content. There's always new content to put out. So it's not nearly as dry as some of the other content that you might work on. But to kind of answer your question, I mean, there's always been this demand for it. I mean, regardless of what's going on in the United States here, um, I've seen it, you know, even as I was working my corporate job. So I had a, a corporate job for, you know, the first 15 years of my life out of college and really worked my side hustle doing content and, and kind of like, just really raised my eyebrows. Like, man, it's just like, I always said like, dude, if I went full time at this, I could probably make a living. You know, I kept saying that year after year, after year, after year and 10, 15 years go by. And I still am doing the same thing where, but it's like, man, this is here. Like there's so much demand for it. And so I finally took the leap, uh, leap of faith, you know, about six years ago, I think is six or seven years ago now, 
uh, where I jumped out of my corporate job and said, I'm going full force on this, on this company. Um, it was just me. And I went to all my clients and said, Hey, look, I'm going to, I'm doing this full time now. And then it was like, okay, this confirmed my already what I knew about the demand, but it confirmed it because every single client that I had or a partner that I had was like, Oh yeah, you're throwing me this, throwing me that. And I'm like, Oh boy, <laughs> like I can't physically write that many articles. Right. And so my mindset quickly shifted into now more the business mindset of it, instead of like, how am I going to make a living doing this? Now I was started to really quickly think, okay, demands here. How do I um, scale up what I'm doing to match that demand and keep up with that demand. And so I knew I couldn't do it myself, which is why I created Noob Solutions um, and really went down the agency route to to serve that need and to serve that model. Because even though the demand was there for content, um, it still needed to be good content. Like there's always been the the content out there that you know you can go hire on uh, Fiverr or Upwork or something like that, and you never know what you're going to get. You're going to end up getting very low quality or, you know, somebody that says they can do it and then they bail on you. So I wanted to address all those needs from a reliability quality, but yet keep it at a pretty low price for them. Uh, Cause I kind of knew what their price points were. And so that's what really the problem I addressed with Noob Solutions and, and uh, yeah, the rest is history over the last six, seven years. Yeah. That's awesome. So cool hearing how that demand really grew and how you noticed it. Um, so, yeah, I think I got a question. That I think like either of you could, I really go in on. I think Tristan, you could talk about this a bit, but like just in general, why you'd say um, like sports betting content is so important and especially to, of course, sports bettors. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, any better would want to be informed on what they're betting on and, you know, what other people, to me, I think betting for me is like a social thing as well. Like I, when I, before I would make a bet, I would, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of other guys that, you know, bet, and so, um, you know, for people too that maybe don't have that, they're, uh, you know, reading in on, you know, who else is betting or what other people are betting on. And I think there's almost this kind of influencers of betting too, when you see like, you know, the barstool creators and that's all they do as well is obviously create content. And they're obviously posting on who they're betting on, who their picks are. And I think kind of having that where we're all in this together, we're either going to win together, or we're going to lose together. I think that kind of aspect about it uh, definitely facilitates that demand for, you know, the content side of things. So, but yeah, you can touch on it, Ryan, on, on your take on that. Yeah. I think it's went through a little progression, um, you know, of what purpose it serves. I mean, back in the day, you know, I think it really started as, um, you know, the business, the business aspect of sports content was really from an SEO perspective and driving people to websites to then monetize, right. And to be able to, um, convert users into whatever they needed them to do. So it was really more from an SEO search engine optimization perspective that people were doing content. Now, I think that's really, you know, in this day and age of social media and, and influencers and, and all of this, I think a lot of it's shifted now where, you know, search engines, yeah, that's still great to rank and, and we want to keep SEO in mind with content. But I think the mindset has shifted now to more like you were talking about um, engaging and and getting people involved in the content and really having compelling content and different types of stuff like that. That wasn't really a thing back, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago. It was more black and white. We need this content so we can rank and get traffic and do blah, blah, blah. 
now it's more like we want to engage people and then get followers and, and all of that. So it's really went through some progression as well. Right. Like in how you said earlier, um, like that, this was something that people didn't really want to talk about much and be public about. And now like people are talking about it all the time. So like, because of this, like how much more competitive would you say like the sports con or sports betting content industry has become and how has this really like changed the outlook of the industry in general? So, I mean, competitive in terms of, um, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people putting out sports right. content, right? I mean, there's, yeah. um, I don't know that they're always competing with each other. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't think a lot of the sites and everything out there are looking at each other as competitors. They're almost feeding off each other, right? I mean, um, if you're a sports better and you're looking for an opinion on a game, I mean, you're probably not just looking at one spot for an opinion. You're probably going out to you know, five, six, seven outlets and saying, oh, let's, what does Ryan think? Or what does Tristan think? Or what does Barstool think? And, and kind of getting all these different flavors of, of your thought on that game. And so, you know, I think they all feed together and it just, it really builds the industry up instead of really competing against each other. I mean, I'm sure there's some competitive nature to it, right? You know, business is business, you're still competing, but um, you know, I think the really, uh, just more of gelling together and building the industry up as a whole, getting more eyeballs on everyone's stuff is, is kind of my outlook on that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like I see, I see no reason to um, like compete with each other. And like Tristan said, like they're like, you want like to take a look at like a bunch of different like outlets, maybe your friends, um, different people online and yeah, like there's not just one person you're going to go to say, so you're going to put like a huge bet down. Like you're not just going to look into like just your friends or just one source. So yeah, so that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I got uh, another question here. What would you say are some of like the biggest challenges that you've had over this journey? And like, have you, have you ever had like any like moments of doubt or has it always just been like all the way to the top? Uh, no, I mean, well, being an entrepreneur and, and now like a CEO of a company that's growing and, and kind of building into something that I never dreamed it to, could be, there's so many challenges that go along with that. I mean, it's as you scale up and especially in the agency model, you know, an agency where you're truly serving, you know, a number of different clients that all have their individual needs and wants and, and ways of doing things. I mean, there's so many challenges that go along with that. Um, you know, one of the biggest ones for me personally has just been staffing up uh, appropriately, um, especially in the sports industry where sports are kind of cyclical, right? And like, you know, we have very high demand around NFL season and very high demand around March Madness. But then so you staff up, staff up, staff up. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's just MLB and man, maybe we don't need as much content. And so what do I have to do? Staff down but then it comes back up, spikes back up. And so you're going through these cycles of needing help and not needing help, which makes it very hard from a management side to really uh, understand your needs and be able to keep everyone burdened and happy and, and keep the finances looking good and all of the above. So that's one of my biggest challenges from a CEO perspective. Um, yeah, there's always challenges. I mean, all sorts of things that you can think of. Um, I could probably think of list five or six of them here, but I know we don't have all day. Um, but no, definitely not always smooth sailing, but I will say, um, it's very rewarding. I mean, any entrepreneur will tell you, you know, we do this because we want to live on our own terms. We want to, um, 
I guess, be our own boss, right? I mean, that was the goal kind of starting. It was like, look, I'm going to do my own thing and live my own life and and go from there. So when the buck stops with me, you know, I, I do have all the responsibility, but I also have the, the power and the decision making to live the life that I want to live uh, within reason, obviously. Right. So like sticking, sticking on that topic of you being like a CEO and everything. Um, so you've always been a huge sports person, as you said, but like, would you say your perspective on sports has kind of changed since you've been like a sports business owner? Oh, for sure. It's killing me actually. And I've talked to several people actually just about this, you know, this last couple of weeks because March Madness is here and man, I used to like just obsess over March Madness and never miss a game, never miss a minute, never. And like, as I get busier and as I get more into this, it's like, I'm in the sports business and I don't even know sports. Like I don't have time to follow sports or I don't have the, uh, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Right. But you kind of, I don't, I didn't fall out of love with sports. I still love sports, but it's a time management thing. Right. I'm more focused on working the business and the, all the business aspects that come along with it than I am of like enjoying sports, you know, and uh, I used to have to do that when I was a writer for myself, obviously I needed to know anything and everything so I could appropriately write the articles. Now I have a team of 70 plus writers on my team that need to do that. Right. So they all take care of knowing sports, loving sports. And it's awesome because we talk every day and they're so passionate. They're like where I was 15 years ago in terms of just sports nuts, sports fanatics. And it makes me a little sad because I'm not there anymore. They want to talk to me about, Hey, what do you think of this game? And I'm like, crap, I don't even know if they're good or not. Like it just, it's, it's a little sad, <laughs> but it just happens. It's part of progression. And I'm trying to balance that a little bit and get a little more into sports uh, again, as I, as I grow up even further. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Like business is of course, what what comes first and like you don't have time to like sports is something like watching sports takes up it can really end up taking up like so much of your time so it does so that yeah. makes a lot of sense so um yeah. this is another question i think like either of you guys could uh touch on but like i want to shift more to like the the modern era of sports betting here so what would you guys say are like the major differences between like betting in person, like betting at a casino or sports book compared to like betting online? Um, yeah, to be honest, I don't really have any experience, um, you know, betting in person aside from, uh, you know, what we do here in Canada. And so we can also, you know, transition to that kind of whole other topic. But, um, you know, here in Canada, it's not the same as it is in the States, obviously. And so uh, it's basically kind of government run as far as, you know, your legal stuff. And then there's all obviously all your offshore, which is what a majority of people do. And uh, a majority of what I do is online um, through, you know, sports interaction is one of the main players here in, in Canada who operates out of a sovereign nation in Quebec. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting how it works here, but every once in a while, um, you know, or, or I've done it maybe twice before in my life where, I've gone to the gas station and bought a ticket from OLG, Ontario Lottery, um, and where you, you know, you fill it out. Um, but, you know, the, the reason why it's, you know, there's the offshore market is so um, prevalent here in Canada. And the reason why, you know, there's obviously this new legislation in Canada is because, uh, you know, the odds aren't as well. And then you, it's got to be a parlay. And so, I mean, that's a whole other topic that I'm sure, Ryan, um, we can discuss. Uh, but, yeah, I don't have an experience like, uh, you know, going... 
uh, you know, like you, like in Vegas, for example, where yeah. people, you know, you go in person and you watch the, you know, you have your bets and you watch the game in person and all that um, with, you know, a bunch of other people that are also doing the same thing. Like I've never done that, but um, yeah, it is interesting, you know, the whole difference between, uh, you know, doing it from your phone on your couch versus, you know, going down to the gas station or going to a bar in Vegas um, obviously is a lot different and, and you can touch on that, Ryan. Sure. I mean, uh, so I've done both, obviously, quite a bit. I've been to Vegas and done that. And then more recently, you know, as it's been legalized in different states, I'll, I'll travel to different states and just to have some fun and kind of place bets there and see how it works at different places. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly there's there's certainly a huge difference, right? It, it's the mo- mobile serves its purpose and, and it's so much easier to bet mobily, which makes it dangerous, right? I mean, when you're betting mobily, you aren't really a lot of times you're not even thinking of it as money. You're just like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. I have a balance and yeah. And when you just have a balance, right? When you're betting in Vegas, you're literally getting out your cash and you're putting your cash down and you're like, crap, I just gave them cash. And then you hope you get some of that back. Right. And usually when you go on those trips, you know, you have a certain amount of cash with you and it's like, Oh, I could either not have it or have it. So it's this different mindset of in-person versus mobile i would say in person is a lot more stressful to me um simply because you're thinking of the money a little closer i think at least me personally Uh, but it is fun like you said you're usually there with friends or you're there in more of a social outlet to do that when you're doing it in person um and so that's a good time and kind of serves its purpose as well but it's crazy to me as the united states keeps progressing that states some of these states are, are still ignoring mobile and ignoring that mobile side of it because it, it's just so much of a um, easier experience for people. Uh, I mean, we're going to mobile, we're, we're digital, we're digital people, all of us are, and it's only getting more digital as we keep going. So the fact that some of these states haven't come on board mobily, but they do offer in person is just blows my mind. Yeah, I actually wanted to follow up with that, though. Do you think, um, you know, we're going to see more of these stadiums kind of integrating where, and you, do you think, what do you think the popularity level of this would be where, you know, you're going to a game and you place a bet um, at the, at the facility itself or at the game itself? Like, do you think that's something where, you know, fans are going to just be too focused on the game itself or, or do you think they are going to, you know, want to put money down, you know, at the game in addition to all the money they're already obviously spending at the game? Um, what are your thoughts kind of there? Yeah, I mean, it's coming. We're already seeing it in many of the stadiums and states and a lot of them talking about it. I, I wouldn't be surprised in five years if every stadium at least has that option, um, at least has it built into their ecosystem around it. Now, whether people will, you know, bet more because they're at the game, uh, maybe. I mean, if they make it simple and they they really integrate the experience with betting a little bit, if they really do a good job of integrating that, you know, I still think it has to be mobile. I don't think it'll go, I don't think it'll go real well having like kiosks and stuff set up and you have to like, you know, put, I I don't see people using that too much. Everybody's here. Everybody's on their phone using their phone, but if they can enter the building and now they have this, you know, I enter the Dallas Mavericks stadium and there's an app that, you know, I get on their app and, Oh man, I can actually bet on live live plays during it while I'm here. And, you know, have a little balance and then at the end of the game, cash it out or something like that, or, or even just keep a balance that rolls out and get paid in crypto later on, you know, uh, there's just so much that can happen there. And I think we will see that progression. Um, and once a few do it successfully, 
it's just going to be a no brainer for others because they're going to have numbers of, uh, you know, handle and revenue that they bring in for their, their teams and their cities and things like that. So um, I do think it's coming and it's not going to stop. Yeah. There's just like so many cool things that can be done with sports betting, like in the digital age now and like talking about like online companies, like there's really, it almost seems like now there's, there's no need at all to bet in person because like there's tons of benefits that these online companies offer you like, like uh, deposit matching and stuff like that. So there's really like, when you think of it, like it is like, it is scarier cause it is a lot easier, but like when you think about it logically, there's really no reason to, to bet in person anymore. It seems like so. And I think COVID's kind of like accelerated that everyone's at home now. Like people couldn't go to sports books and casinos and stuff like that for a while. So it's just only pushed it further. So like sticking on that, like COVID kind of thing, uh, what what would what was your strategy kind of when uh, sports stopped last year um, in general for uh, Noob Solutions, Noob Sports? What did you get up to uh, once sports stopped? Yeah, I mean, from well, from a business side, I mean, uh, my initial strategy was, oh crap, <laughs> no sports, and I'm built around sports. That's not a good combination. Um, but you know, it, it's like anything. You either you know you adjust, you pivot, you do what you need to do to keep things going. Um, what I'll say for what we did, you know luckily we have a great, you know, I'm a, I'm a true believer in any business and this is outside of sports betting or anything, but I'm a true believer that the relationship is everything and that you build those relationships to last through anything. And that is kind of what I felt like happened through COVID. I've built strong, very strong relationships with the people we work with. And, you know, it probably could have been easy for them to say, Oh, we're just going to stop. And, you know, there's no sports. We don't want to do anything but they were pretty reasonable in like, Hey, we still need some stuff. Let's just pivot what we do. Let's do some evergreen content. Let's do some reviews. Let's do some strategy articles. Sports is coming back. We know that. So let's do some things to clean up our sites and to like really maybe things that they hadn't really put attention to because with sports, you're always running. Now they can slow down. And we did this as well, but slow down, look at the content that they've been putting out there. And now make it better or look at some of the long-term type content and fix up that. So we probably spent a good four to six months doing that type of stuff. You know, your sports book reviews, your strategy articles, your fixing up SEO pages and, and keyword pages and things like that. And really it just shifted what we did with most clients. Now I will say if, if sports would have stayed away for another four to six months, I don't know how long that would have lasted for us. Um, but it did start coming back and, and we were able to, you know, get going again pretty smoothly. So from a, an agency side, you know, we were able to, to manage pretty well. Um, now from a putting out content on, you know, new sports and some of our internal sites that we do, that was a lot tougher, right? It was a lot tougher to come up with topics and things like that. And so, you know, we, we started thinking about other areas that we could dive into, which is where, you know, premium gambling domains came from. Um, you really spend a lot more time focusing on that project and, uh, things outside of just content. Um, you know, we dove a little bit into the esports space and some things that we knew were going to continue, even if sports didn't. Um, but overall, you know, we didn't have to do too much pivoting. So a little pivoting, but, uh, luckily we got pretty lucky and didn't have to too much. Yeah. Like definitely like the number one thing in this uh, COVID era has been being able to adjust and being flexible. So it's great to hear that you were able to do that. So 
uh, shifting into like more of the future and like legalization of sports yeah. betting in general. Um, so either of you can answer this. So like in Canada, as Tristan said, only parlay betting is legal. Um, so basically betting on multiple outcomes and games. So um, what would either of you guys say are going to be uh, the benefits or opportunities from fully legalizing in both the states and Canada as well? Like, what do you think would come from that if things were fully legalized? Yeah, like, I mean, you know, personally, as a better, I think there's just so many scenarios where um, you want to place a bet, but you don't want to, you know, place a bet minimum of three bets, um, you know, and having all those hit. Uh, in order for you to make money and so there's obviously some opportunity and and like you said that's the only net, like legal way but there's all kinds of sorts of gray area and, and technically like i said some of the ones that are operating out of these sovereign nations are um you know legal but um you know like i said in the gray area but i think there's you know it's going to be a huge opportunity for the big players to come up into canada and i know the score is um you know lobbying as much as you can use that word up here uh, for legalization and, and they're going to be one of the first to get a license and them being, um, you know, a Canadian company, I think, um, you know, having like 10 million users on their mobile app as is uh, here in Canada and like um, just transitioning them over into their, you know, betting version of that app, I think will be a smooth transition for them. Um, but also, you know, the other ones like DraftKings and, um, you know, Penn National and uh, Caesars and all those, I think those guys are going to, uh, take advantage of the market up here in Canada. And, uh, and then as well as, you know, as in the States, as you know, more States start to open up, uh, I think it's just going to be, it'll be at the point where, you know, it'll all be opened up and, uh, it's going to be like we see in the, the NBA and, um, we're already starting to see, you know, just being flooded by, you know, the different competitive spaces. And, um, I think it's just going to accelerate here in Canada once that opens up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'll admit, I'm not overly educated on the Canadian market and what's all going on there. I kind of am very focused on US states and things of that nature. But I do find it a little odd that they only allow parlay betting. That's just kind of odd to me. That just just seems weird. I mean, parlay betting, a lot of times can be thought of as like one of the biggest sucker bets, right? I mean, so okay, you're gonna allow just the sucker betting, but not the real people that want to like really dive into a bet and, and bet it. So I think that'll change, you know, obviously we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of lobbying going on as Tristan mentioned. Um, I think the biggest benefit, you know, that everyone sees as, you know, well, first the States or the, the areas see from this is, is revenue. I mean, they're bringing in revenue that can, that can help um, sustain different projects that they have going on in all these States. Well, let's, let's just face it. The States in the U S they all need revenue. They're always looking for different ways to, to generate revenue. And, th and this is one of them because let's face it, these people in their States and probably in Canada as well, they're going to bet regardless, like they're going to find a way to bet they're going offshore. And so I think the biggest benefit is, you know, you're kind of like, taking that in house and saying, okay, you know, we're going to, you're not have to shut down the offshores, but you're, you're, you're just taking them from them right now. They don't have the players don't have an option, right? They don't have an option of where to go. Now you're giving them that option, which is a win-win because now it brings it in house. It gives them some revenue in the state or in the, the jurisdiction that they're in. And um, it makes the, the player feel a little, uh, better about what they're doing. I think, you know, from a morale standpoint, you know, you, like I was mentioning at the beginning of this, you know, not even wanting to talk about what I did to now jumping off the rooftops and talking about sports betting. It's the same way with just your casual better. 
who doesn't really want to talk about betting over at my bookie because it's not really legal, but I'll shout that I can bet at FanDuel, you know, FanDuel legally in New Jersey. Yeah, I can do that. You know, so once the score gets going in, in Canada and, and other properties get going in Canada, um, I think it'll be a win for the players, a win for the, the Canada as a whole and a win for everybody, a win for the operators for sure. Maybe not a win for the offshores. Yeah, exactly. But like, as you say, like so many opportunities and like just for revenue in general, like I know a lot of the money would like be able to go, go back to the provinces and stuff like that. So I just think there's, there's like, it's, I think it's a no brainer personally to, uh, to make it happen. And it seems like it, it is going to happen. So uh, yeah. And that's just it, like to, to add on to that. I mean, like Ryan said, I mean, people are going to do it anyways. I mean, and so you might as well, and it's the same mentality when they, you know, legalize cannabis up here in Canada, um, you know, the people that are going to do it are going to do it. And so you might as well tax it and make money off it. Right. So uh, that's, I, that's, I think that should be the mentality um, especially when it comes to sports betting. Cause I think it's, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, gambling is addictive, but it's not even a drug necessarily as, you know, I think, um, you know, it'd make even more sense to, uh, to regulate and, and tax uh, sports betting um, than some of these other things. So, yeah, that's yeah. just my personal take. So. Yeah. And it's just like way safer for everyone. Cause as you say, it's, it's going to happen no matter what people are doing it through like some dangerous means sometimes. So uh, might as well, as you say, might as well just legalize it. Um, so I just got two more questions for you. I know you got to, got to run in a bit, but um, so quickly, I just want to uh, shift more to like, uh, like betting strategy possibly. Cause I know like a few of our listeners may be sports bettors themselves. Um, I'm obviously not asking you to give up your entire philosophy here. And I know you're not, you're not like probably betting as much on sports as you were earlier in your career, but um, could you give like any, like one rule of thumb for people to like best protect their money and like just give themselves a chance to make a profit. Don't bet with your heart. Yeah. Just don't bet with your heart, bet with your, bet with your brains. Don't bet with your heart um the your heart will will make you pay every time um you know that that's as simple as that the way i look at it you know i'm a very analytical guy i'm a very numbers oriented guy and i think uh um if you follow if you follow the trends and the numbers and things of that nature instead of following just what you see and what you think from a, a fan point of view um, I think it'll get you a lot further and, and your bankroll will be happy. Now, obviously it's, it, it's a tough industry. I mean, it's very tough to be a winning sports better. Um, you know, 55% is a, is a great number to win money long-term. And so, you know, you really can't look at it as, um, you know, the other philosophy is, is think of it as a long game. I mean, it really depends what you're in it for, right? If you're just in it to like, oh, I want to make a bet and watch the game and have fun and you're not worried about winning or losing the money, then that's, that's great. That's fun. And that's an enjoyment of it. If you're trying to make money and, and build that bankroll, you have to look at it as a long-term project. And I don't think of it as gambling. I think of it as investing. I think of it as, as really any, nothing different than investing in stocks or anything like that. It's just the same mindset of, okay, how am I going to maximize the slate of games today? What are the opportunities with this slate? Um, are there different, uh, you know, odds that are out there that I can take advantage of. And, and, you know, that's another tip is make sure that you aren't just playing at one book. If you're really looking to try to maximize, I mean, if you have a portfolio of places you can play, you're always going to find better odds. And that stuff adds up a lot. It really does. You might not think, oh, minus 210 or minus 225, who cares? 
at the end of the day, I mean, it's another that adds up when you're betting hundreds of times a week. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, those are three or four different things that I think of that comes right off the top of my head uh, as far as strategy goes high level. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. As you say, as you say, it's a long game. You can't you can't get cut up, caught up in all the fan favorites like guys like uh, Conor McGregor, of course. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So well, what you, well, you got to remember about that, uh, Ryan, is that. I mean, these sports books and these operators, they know who the fan favorites are. Exactly. And so that juice and that, I mean, that line is already inflated for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, you're getting terrible odds on those teams mm-hmm. and those players. And, and even now that we're getting into this more localized sports betting, right? I mean, if you're in New Jersey, you're most likely getting terrible odds on the Nets and the Knicks and all these teams that are right around that area because they know the majority of people are just going to bet on them anyway, no matter what. And so just keep that in mind. You know, the savvy sports bettors know how to keep that in mind and know to look at the opposites of what the favorites, what the, you know, what the public's doing is usually not the right way to go. It's, it's usually the other way around. Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome advice. Really appreciate that. So uh, just one last question. I just want to, I know you're someone who you have tons of really cool stories. Um, and I, one of the coolest, I think is definitely uh, the fact that you've played basketball uh, with Michael Jordan. So if you could just uh, end off with just telling us about how that all came to be and uh, yeah, telling our listeners about that. Yeah. I mean, that goes back to the Elmhurst basketball days. Um, so, you know, I, I had a fairly successful high school basketball career. I was one of those players that was like, was kind of, you know, I was kind of like a, a, a shooter before shooting became cool. Like I used to shoot a lot of threes and that wasn't really the thing 20 years ago. It wasn't like the cool thing to do. Nowadays, I just fit in with everybody else that's in the game. But back then I was a little bit different because I was shooting from deep and it was just a, I had kind of my specialty that wasn't really a thing. And so, but I wasn't really tall enough or, or athletic enough to really be like this major D1 player or anything. So it's kind of in this gray area between and if you know anything about college basketball in the United States, you know, there's division one, division two, II, division three. And so I was kind of in that gray area of, I could probably play D one, but maybe sit and not really play. I just wanted to play the game. I wanted to play basketball. So Elmhurst college, it was college at the time. Now it's Elmhurst university, but they, they um, were a division three up in Chicago and, and started recruiting me pretty hard. Um, and a division three level school can't give scholarships, right? They can give academic scholarships and all that, but they can't give athletic scholarships, but their recruiting pitch for that was, Hey, Michael Jordan runs his kids basketball camp at our school every summer. If you come here and play basketball for us, you'll get to run that camp and you'll get to be a part of that, um, you know, every summer. And this is 97 to 2001. So this is his heyday. This is like when Jordan is Jordan, like he's winning championships year after year and everyone in the whole, and I was from Illinois. So everyone in Illinois just idolized Jordan. So of course I'm like, I'm in, where do I sign? I'm I'll play there. I don't care anything else. I've heard enough. I'm in. So long story short, you know, I went there, played four years of college basketball at Elmhurst and sure enough, I mean, he had his camp there actually all four years I was there plus the year after, Um, And then I think he actually moved on and did it somewhere else or didn't do it, something like that. But I got to go five years in a row and be a counselor, you know, so the camps for little kids, but I got to be a counselor. And most of the other counselors are like these major D1 players. And, you know, they brought in guys like Vince Carter, Mike Bibby, um, Sean Marion, all these names of like bigger name college guys at the time to be counselors. 
And um, it was so cool just being around him. He'd come in three or four times a day and do sessions with the kids. And every time he'd show up, he'd bring a new car. Uh, you know, he'd pull up in something new with a custom license plate, you know, Air MJ or MJ23 or whatever. He had so many of those. And, um, you know, one of the coolest, probably two of the coolest things, you know, a couple of stories, I won't keep you very long, but a couple of stories around it. One, you know, one day he came into our team meeting, you know, there's probably 30 coaches of us in a, in a room and he comes in every morning and has a little team meeting. Okay, what are we going to do today? And he came in with a, a box of his shoes, a pair of, you know, his shoes, I think 13 and a halves, his size, you know, and all of the above came in. He's like, Hey, hey guys, I had these in my car. I'm going to give them away to one of you. Everybody draw numbers. Um, everybody draw numbers and I'll give it to you, you know, and drew, uh, picked the number and picked, I think my lucky number. And sure enough, it was like, right on. I picked the exact number. He came up, gave them to me, signed them both. So signed both shoes put the upper deck or had another guy put the upper deck authentication on it. And so I own a pair of Jordan shoes from his car signed and all looking awesome. So that was like one of those cool things. Everybody else in the room didn't think it was cool that I got them, but I thought it was. So, so that was pretty neat. And then the second story um, every night he'd come back in, you know, he'd come back into the camp. So he worked with the kids during the day, he'd go home, do whatever he did, but he'd come back in at night and just play open gym. Um, just like you would think of going down to the Y and playing open gym. He'd come in, all right, guys, you know, a split up. And usually he'd bring other NBA guys or other athletes in with him. One day he brought Randy Moss, uh, NFL Randy Moss, just with him, showed up. Jawan Howard showed up with him one day. Vladi Divac came with him one day, which is kind of odd. I always wonder where that connection came from, him and Vladi. But uh, always brought somebody. And then it would literally be like, oh, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you. And so one day, one game I'm playing on Jordan's team, the next game I'm guarding Jordan, the next game I'm sitting, just like open gym format. And uh, and I'll tell you what, you think maybe, you know, oh, this is nothing to him. He, he could just mess around. He did not mess around. Like he was not losing a game. All these college kids are coming at him hard, right? I mean, you got these guys coming at him thinking they're the next big thing. And he wasn't backing down he wasn't going light he was going as hard as he could every game which was when you look at him his mentality and everything I mean it's so true he he just was a true competitor in everything he did even when it was nine o'clock at night in a random college gym in the middle of his heyday he's still going hard so a couple stories for you I know I was long-winded but a couple stories for you no that's that's funny though have you ever seen that video where in the camp he like was, uh, <laughs> he goes around the world and he's like, all I have to do is miss one shot and everyone gets reach for it. I have <laughs> seen that. That wasn't when I was there, but I have seen that. <laughs> and he doesn't, <laughs> that just goes to show though, his, his mentality there and his competitive nature is just funny. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool times. So I do, I always say, I don't regret where I went to, to college. I got to play a lot and uh, got to hang with Jordan. So. Yeah, no, that is a recruiting pitch. I don't, I don't know how anyone could really pass that up. Yeah, exactly. I don't need money. I get to hang with Jordan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's such a cool story. But uh, yeah, so just in general, thank you so much for doing this today. Um, I just want to say to, uh, to end us off here, um, everyone make sure to check out uh, Noob Solutions, uh, noobsports.com and uh, premiumgamblingdomains.com. They all do some really cool stuff. So, um, and Ryan, if there's anything else you'd, you'd just like to say to our listeners or uh, plug here at the end where they can find you. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I just thank you again, Ryan and Tristan for having me on here. I'm happy to come on anytime. I love talking about this stuff. So, right. you know, I know I did a lot of talking here, but I'd love to come on again and, and maybe be more of a, a silent guy and just uh, chime in when I can. But uh, I appreciate you giving me kind of more of a platform to talk. And uh, yeah, I mean, of course, anybody wants to follow us. I mean, I'm at Noop Sports everywhere. K-N-U-P Sports. You can find our handle everywhere. Uh, we're doing a lot of cool things. We've launched um, a thing called the Sports 2.0 Network, where I have all my writers that are doing fun stuff uh, internally. And so uh, you can find a lot of uh, engaging sports content out there and just uh, we have a good time with it. We don't take it overly seriously. Um, and uh, if anybody ever has questions, needs anything, needs connections within this space, um, I'm happy to help um, in any way I can. So thank you again, Ryan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. thanks so much. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Ryan. Likewise, Tristan, always. Thank you.